I'm Jeff Gibson. And I'm Shanna Paxton. And we are The, the Movie, Movie Lovers. Lovers. Welcome. Hello. To the official podcast of The Gibson Review. In every episode, we start off our love of movies by talking about the week in review, what movies and TV shows we've been talking or we've been watching since the last episode. Move on to the main event, which is a main topic of discussion or main review, and then finish up with film faves, our respective lists, of our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic. Now, program note, in at the end of our last episode, we said we would do our very first review of the year with a review of Uncharted. However, we kind of decided not to do that, ultimately. Partially because of life, schedules and stuff, but ultimately we just weren't that excited about it. And the feedback I was seeing on a consistent basis leading up to this recording was that it's either a huge disappointment or very mediocre at best. And, and, and any fan of the, the video game series it seems to be fairly consistently disappointed. Well, when you have a video game that's pretty much a movie and then you try to make a movie of that video game, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's a great property to do that to. You know, you, you raise a, a good point, which is the entire idea behind the, the video game series was to try to make it so you're playing an adventure game akin to Indiana Jones. And so it was very cinematic. And the idea of making a movie based on that has always seemed kind of redundant. Like if you were to, especially if you were to try to adapt the actual stories from the actual games, it would be completely redundant and miss the entire point of those games. So I, I agree with you. And it, it doesn't sound like they did that, but it also sounds like whatever they came up with was, was not on the level of what you experience in the games. It's a difficult concept to translate. If you want something that's, you know, some sort of IP that is done well already in Mm. movie, somewhat movie format, Mm -hmm. I mean, you can't really make it bigger, can you? Right. I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing it when it comes out to stream or rent. The part that I was looking forward to was seeing Tati Gabriella from Sabrina. She's one of the three sisters from Sabrina you know, kind of like the bad girls that they come up against. And there's arcs, of course, with character development. But I digress. The only way I think to be able to do that film is if you possibly make it part of the canon of the movie or of the video games, I mean, and just a completely different adventure. But also, I think another issue I'm seeing consistently is everyone's miscast in the film, particularly Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg in the lead roles. So Hmm. so we were considering watching it just for fun and including it in the weekend in our weekend review, but we didn't uh, get to do that with the short time that we had. So instead, the main event for this episode will be a discussion of the Academy Award nominations, something that we both have a lot of thoughts on. And in a a related, actually a more relatable topic, Film Faves will be counting down our 12 favorite 
forgotten movies. More on that later. Let's get into the weekend review. Shanna, from what I understand, this time you have nothing to talk about. I really don't. Just been watching Octonauts and Mickey Mouse shorts with the little one. So (laughs) nothing really to contribute other than if I had to pick one of those shows to watch over and over again, I would actually pick Octonauts because there's always something to learn every time I watch an episode or one of their mini movies Hmm. i i want to look up what is that creature or what does that organism look like in real life so that's where i'm at this week how about you so i actually have a week in review and it has nothing to do with disney have you enjoyed your time I, i am enjoying being able to watch other things yes So the first thing I want to bring up that I watched is I finally, after four years-ish, caught up with a film called Love, Simon. Now, Love, Simon is a teen film directed by Greg Berlanti, who Shanna, we're familiar with because he created the Arrowverse. And while... Are there flashbacks? In Love, Simon? (laughs) Uh, Not that I... No, I don't think so, actually. I don't... hmm. Not to the extent of Arrow, that's for damn sure. But anyway, he was show running like four shows while also directing this movie. So very impressive. This film is about Simon Spear, who keeps a huge secret from his family, his friends, and all of his classmates. He's gay. When that secret's threatened, Simon must face everyone and come to terms with his identity. Now, this is based on a YA novel called Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda. By Becky Albertalli. It was adapted by Elizabeth Berger and Isaac Aptiker and stars Nick Robinson, Jennifer Gardner, Josh DeHamel, Catherine Lanford, Alex Shipp, Logan Miller, and Keenan Lonsdale. I think there might be a couple other people in there as well. Oh, Tony Hale also appears as the principal of the school. Now, this is a movie that I was not terribly interested in at first because I had heard at first it was like, oh, it's a teen romance movie, but like, you know, teen comedy or whatever, a romance movie, but about a gay guy. And at the time I thought, well, isn't that kind of, aren't we past that? I didn't think that that was all that novel concept and stuff. But then I heard it was actually really good and people were praising it and stuff. So I put it on the back burner, eventually got to it a few years later. And I couldn't have been more wrong about this movie because it's not really what I thought it was. As the premise actually says, it's actually about a guy who hasn't come out yet. And his um, his identity is being like blackmailed because what happens is... He, he ends up having a pen pal with someone who is at his school, who goes to his school. He doesn't know who this person is. They don't know who each other are, uh, but they do know that they, they are both gay, secretly gay. And they're both kind of like struggling with knowing it themselves, but the world not necessarily knowing and, and all that. And someone finds out about that and blackmails Simon saying 
I'm going to release these emails and tell everyone if you don't let me or help me get with your gal pal friend, played by Alex uh, Alexander Ship. Well, this sounds sleazy. Right, right. So that part is definitely sleazy. You're like, oh my god, this guy's awful. <laughs> but anyway, the the movie is surprisingly good. There is a little bit of a third act. How could you do this to me? Kind of thing. When like what happened to Simon definitely outweighs everyone else's issues because he's a victim of a terrible thing, you know. Mm-hmm. So you know, I I don't. You know, I had some minor issues with the third act being like, really? Like, take take a step back, have some perspective. But overall, I thought this was a very interesting and uh, very good, very good film that if you haven't caught up with, I definitely recommend. That's Love, Simon by Greg Perlanti. Uh, Next, I saw an indie slasher film from around the same time called Prevenge. Now, this was a movie that kind of was hitting the festivals and had a little bit of buzz around it. Um, and it eventually apparently went like straight to Shudder after a little bit of a, a theatrical release. So it took a long time for me to be able to get around to being able to see it because I'm not a huge horror hound. So therefore, I do not subscribe to Shudder. This is about a widow named Ruth who's seven months pregnant, when believing herself to be guided by her unborn baby, she embarks on a homicidal rampage. Ruth is played by Alice Lowe. This film is directed and written by Alice Lowe. Alice Lowe's... Oh, wow, F-rated. Triple F-rated, my friend. Uh, I'm not familiar with Alice Lowe, really. I tried looking to see if, oh, is this someone who's done something since, or I had seen stuff before with her and the answer is really kind of no um she's done a bunch of stuff i've never heard of before she did an episode of black mirror called bandersnatch i think that's one of the more well-known black mirror things but that's about it and i would say that this film really tries to label itself as a black comedy and I could kind of see that, but it I, it wasn't it wasn't that sharply or witty as I expected it to be. Uh, it, it it is it has like two maybe like gory scenes in the whole movie. There are like somewhere around four kills, but I I don't know. I think this is a movie that on paper it had some interesting stuff that it's wrestling with or kind of gets revealed during the second half of the film in terms of why she's doing it. The, the, the initial impression is you hear, you're hearing the baby's voice and it's talking to the fetus's voice and it's talking to Ruth and telling her and talking to her, her into doing horrible things to horrible people. But you learn that there's more going on than that. And it, it kind of deviates just slightly from that premise in terms of what's actually going on. And I think that's interesting. But ultimately, like, I didn't necessarily love Prevenge. And I'm not sure that it was entirely worth 
the anticipation. I give Revenge a 6 out of 10. Love Simon, by the way, I would give a 7 out of 10 for sure. But Revenge, uh, not quite as good as 6 out of 10. So I watched an Indian film that had been on my queue for a very long time. Actually, a couple years. It is called Three Idiots. Not the best title, if you ask me. It is apparently from 2009-ish. It's about two friends who's searching for their long-lost companion. They revisit their college days, which, like, most of the runtime is their college days, recalling the memories of their friend who inspired them to think differently, even as the rest of the world called them idiots. The rest of the world really being just the headmaster of their (laughs) uh, university. It seems to be an engineering school of sorts. This is, as I understand it, a Bollywood production. I'm looking at, looking for the source. Yes, it is Indian. Hindi is the language. So I believe it is Bollywood in origin. It is directed by uh, Rajkumar Harani, and it stars Amir Khan, Maud Haven, Mona Singh, Sharman Joshi, and Karina Kapoor. Among others. Oh, uh, Bowman Irani is also worth noting. Now, I know nothing about this. I know nothing about the Bollywood world. I know nothing about the stars or anything like that. So I had to research this movie and stuff. And I learned that Amir Khan is like apparently a huge freaking star. And it's interesting because like this movie came out in 2009. The dude was born in 1965. So if my math is correct, the dude was like 45-ish when doing this uh, film. 40, yeah, somewhere around 45 when filming this. At, and he's playing for most of the movie, most of the movie being like two hours, 47 minutes, a college student. And I was blown away that he was actually that old because he's very convincing as a college student. You know, this isn't a Hollywood thing where it's like a 30-year-old is playing a uh, a teenager and you're like, this dude is no way 17 years old. You can act, you actually believe Amir Khan as, as a college student. I actually really like this movie quite a bit. You have to go along with some of the Bollywood tropes, which includes some silly sound effects, some random musical numbers, of which there's like three in this film. And it kind of tries to do all genres, all, all the things, right? Not action. This is not an action movie. But it's funny and sometimes moving, at moments a little overdramatic, especially near the third act. But I really recommend Three Idiots. It was one of the most recommended Bollywood movies when I was researching uh, Bollywood films, which is probably why it remained on my queue for the longest time. I still use Netflix DVD. <laughs> Maybe the ten, one of 10 people still doing that. But yeah, if you can find it, I recommend it. Apparently, according to IMDb, it's on Netflix right now. Go figure. So uh, look for it there. Three Idiots. I give I, I give that probably an 8 out of 10. Lastly, and Shannon, you can speak a little bit to this one. I checked out the Hulu miniseries Pam and Tommy. This is about Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee and their relationship 
the hurricane relationship in the mid 90s. It stars Lily James and Sebastian Stan as the titular characters. Uh, a lot of the episodes are directed, surprisingly, by uh, the director of I, Tonya, Craig Gillespie. And I think there's an episode that's directed by Lake Bell. I thought this, I kind of checked it out out of curiosity, like, oh, I have the time. Let's watch something current and expecting it to not like it. And man, I was in it like right away. I didn't expect the guests, the, the supporting cast that are in it. And I, it was like one of those things where I was like, Shannon, you gotta, you gotta see this. So I showed you the first episode. Do you want to share any of your thoughts about the, the first episode? Yeah, the first episode was something. It was definitely one of those thrilling thriller moments of what's going to happen to this entrepreneur. Anything you can do wrong as an entrepreneur is what this guy did, uh, Seth, uh, Seth's character. And it was... A contractor, yeah. Yeah, a contractor. And it was just mistake after mistake. And I was like, no! Yeah. And I found myself getting distracted. Actually, I found that it wasn't really about Pam and Tommy. Well, the first episode, yeah. Um, well, and I wasn't like craving to see them or anything like that because I was so busy relating to the contractor yeah. character and worrying about him and wondering about his backstory more than I have. It's fascinating how that got stimulated. I wanted to know how long has he been in the business because why is he making these mistakes and you know, he's obviously been around long enough that he qualifies for a Discover card and <laughs> that okay. he keeps maxing out and yeah. things like that. And so I found myself getting very distracted and invested in this character. Mm-hmm. And then I watched the second episode and that was interesting because that gets into Pam and Tommy, how they met and stuff. And the yes. way there's a ridiculous sequence that is shot in the hotel room. Don't spoil it. Don't spoil it. It is hilarious and totally my jam. Really? <laughs> well, it's slow motion. Oh, 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 okay. I thought you were talking about slow the other thing. Slow motion with like movement happening everywhere. Yeah. And then, yeah, there's also completely unexpected things that happen yeah. in addition to that. Yeah. But the film work is amazing. You kind of have to be that way because if you if you think about Pamela Anderson, you're like, well, Hollywood glam, babe, you know, and mm. of that particular time. So they're definitely getting their cinematography spot on. Well, I think a lot of that, those episodes were directed by Craig Gillespie. So that makes some sense there. Uh, I think, yeah, the the second episode is bonkers. And interestingly enough, I've seen the first four episodes. I don't think I've seen the fifth one. Maybe I have. And it... It's the only one that's really truly bonkers. <laughs> oh my god, it's crazy! But it's it's you're watching it and it's hilarious because it's kind of this commentary on how crazy Hollywood is. So sort of, I think it's mostly illustrating how like insane that relationship was, and yeah. and a little bit more of what Tommy Lee is like too, which the first episode sets up as well to an extent. And uh, the rest of it, like the whole thing is about the uh, the sex tape that was released on the Internet of Pam and Tommy. Yeah, that was something that was definitely in my periphery mm. growing up, because how old did we figure out I was? Eleven? You're, no, God, no, you were not even close to 10 years old yet. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, so much younger. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Baywatch was incredibly popular in South Africa because in South Africa, we have the beaches and we have swimming and it's very competitive. And life-saving is this extra activity that you can do in school. So, so I was definitely aware there was some sort of scandal when I was growing up. So I'm interested to see where it goes. And I think that that's going to be interesting commentary on an individual's rights. It, it definitely gets into some interesting stuff. Really quickly before we move on, which we need to, uh, Sebastian Stan and Lily James are incredible in this. I could not believe the transformation Lily James underwent. Apparently four hours of makeup. You cannot see Lily James in this. You only see Pamela Anderson, and she is fantastic in it. Sebastian Stan definitely studied Tommy Lee's mannerisms. He is great. So, big surprise, Pam and Tommy. Highly recommend that. And that is my weekend review, but it was a perfect segue into our weekend review since Shannon, you were able to participate a little bit in commenting on that show. The next one that we watched in our weekend review is the final episode of the Book of Boba Fett. We had mentioned that the last episode of the Movie Lovers was releasing the weekend after the Book of Boba Fett ended. So we're going to comment on that. Shanna. What did you think of the final episode of The Book of Boba Fett? Was the show ultimately satisfying after seeing the whole picture? I was fine with it. It really wasn't a huge letdown for me. I was concerned about what direction the show was going in when it started out. There's too many flashbacks. What's going to happen next? And and then we get surprise characters that come in. And it's it's a little bit of an overtaking, I think. And kind of not about Boba Fett. So there's a bit of confusion. But ultimately, it was an entertaining episode. The last episode. And, you know, there's a few things that happened in the show that are interesting. Yeah. So the first episode or the final episode is fun. Yes, it definitely works up to this. I think it's like episode three. It becomes clear we're leading towards some sort of a confrontation or whatever. And it's like three or four that makes that becomes clear. And it does that. And, you know, one of those episodes that I just mentioned also introduced a Rancor. And I'm like, okay, well, obviously this thing's going to come in into the final episode. He's going to be riding the Rancor into battle, yada, yada, yada. And the fans will go nuts. And all that stuff does happen. It's predictable in that sense. And, you know, the fans did go nuts. And it is fun. And I totally get it. And there's a lot of other things that's kind of fun. But (sighs) this show, man, it's like... It's like half of it is Boba about Boba Fett. And, like, half of it is like the Mandalorian season 2.5 where it's like, oh, well, if you just watch the Mandalorian or we're planning on only watching the Mandalorian, ha ha ha, you're mm. going to be lost when we start, when we drop season three, y'all. So you better go back and watch the book of Boba Fett. We win. It's kind of like annoying in well, that sense. 
and there's this obvious I, I think ultimately it's just really predictable i think it's a mess it's all over the place there's decisions that were made that really weren't like on the edge of my seat decisions like oh well obviously i'm gonna bring back this character and so on that whole entire tangent that they went on was completely pointless now and you know there's there's some things that i find very annoying mandalorian is by far the superior show book of boba fett was basically pandering and just absolutely unfocused and fairly poor i give the book of boba fett on the whole probably a five out of ten well i mean that seems rather generous really you said it was fine well it doesn't mean it's gonna make it okay in the score (laughs) (laughs) i would maybe give it a four like it's it's called the book of boba fett Mm -hmm. and nobody tells you that there's like a middle chapter about mando so two or three but yeah okay so that's the book of boba fett moving right along we caught up with a documentary that's nominated for best documentary i believe by the academy awards yes it is called flea it's available on hulu uh, it it I feel like it released like right at the end of the year. It tells the extraordinary true story of a man on the verge of marriage, which compels him to reveal his hidden past for the first time. You know, this is a film that is rotoscoped to help protect the identity of the uh, main character. Names were changed, from what I understand as well. It's directed by Jonas Poher Rasmussen. I'm not familiar with that documentarian. So, yeah, it's about this guy who he and his family, well, he's telling the story about how he and his family tried to flee Afghanistan. Shannon, what did you think of this documentary? I, I, we kind of both went in cold just knowing that it was nominated and a documentary that was mentioned a little bit. Or Did you, did you say that you heard an interview on NPR about this? Oh, I can't remember at this point. It's been a very long week. Oh, I might have heard a review. Oh, okay. On NPR about it. So I just loved this film. I thought the format of it was very smart and clever. It's great how they're going into this with animation to obscure identities, etc. And it sounds like they're just doing recordings of the two of them having conversations. And sometimes his fiance is there too. Mm. And it's very interesting because you've got like this very natural talking happening and very honest talking because it's it's difficult to talk about fleeing and it's overlapped with animation but then every now and again they're showing footage of what wherever they are what it was like at the time there it definitely puts me in a position of appreciation and privilege it makes me want to go and give all my money to any refugee center to to try and help people get out of a bad situation because there are refuge there are people that need help and they need to get away from a very difficult out of their control situation yeah i i think it's it's a very good documentary and i think it's an important documentary i think it's an interestingly crafted documentary you know of course the whole rotoscoped animation thing definitely adds something unique uh, to it as a documentary uh so I, I definitely think it's a film that i recommend and people should definitely check out 
I give Flea a 7 out of 10 myself. Not the best documentary of the short, the small list of documentaries that I've seen from last year, but a very, very good one. And what do you, what do you score Flea? Well, I haven't seen any of the others that are nominated right now, and I don't think I actually, I might have seen one documentary last year, but mm. I give it a 9. Very good. So that is Flea, available on Hulu. Also, we caught up with a film that it got counted as a 2020 movie, even though its theatrical release was not really until February 26th of 2021. And we just never got around to it. Had I gotten around to it, I definitely would have counted it among the best films of 2021. It is The Father starring Anthony Hopkins and Olivia Coleman and Olivia Williams. It is essentially about a, an old man who is suffering from dementia. And the film, it's a single location film. Huh? Single location film. <laughs> and it really plays with time. It plays with perspective. It plays with identity a little bit. And... I thought this film, first of all, I thought like it was extraordinarily written. The script, like I was kind of boggling the idea of writing this and keeping everything coherent and keeping track of everything just floored me from a writing perspective. I think it's also extraordinarily directed. I'll shout out to the director who is Florian Zeller, not a director I'm terribly familiar with, once again. That's apparently because this is a directorial debut. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I I thought it was an extraordinary film, The Father. If you didn't end up catching up with The Father, I highly recommend it. Shanna, did you have any thoughts yourself on The Father? Look, I was worried to watch this film because I interpreted it as it's going to be an emotional roller coaster and I'm going to cry a lot. I miss my dad often. He's back in South Africa and I'm over here. So whenever I see something about especially a father-daughter relationship in a film, it just breaks my heart because I'm kind of in this situation where I can't have them with me. But I was only left really emotional in the last 15 minutes. And I think it's important to say that because it's a film that I know I'm not the only one that was afraid to watch it because it uh, it does, it's got Anthony Hopkins. Of course, it's going to be this amazing film depicting like a, and a great execution of the concept of dementia. So it's, it's not a pleasant ride, but it has these, really wonderful moments the cinematography the set design the color choices it's and lighting to help push the story forward is so well done and so perfect i love this film i don't know if i'll ever own it but i'll definitely watch it again yeah it's a fantastic film i i give it an eight out of ten uh for sure i give it a nine excellent and, and I will say, not only was, did Anthony Hopkins give an excellent performance in it, but so did Olivia Coleman. although hard 
to be on the same level of Anthony in a movie mm-hmm. like this, for sure. Much better performance than this other 2021 movie, I think, that we're about to talk about, which is The Lost Daughter. This is the directorial debut of Maggie Gyllenhaal, starring Olivia Coleman, as well as Jesse Buckley, Dakota Johnson, Ed Harris. Peter Sarsgaard has a scene or two in it as well. It is, I think it's an adaptation of a novel, yes, by Elena Ferrante. The adaptation is written by Maggie Gyllenhaal. Triple F rated, y'all. A woman's beach vacation takes a dark turn when she begins to confront the troubles of her past. Sort of. That's sort of what it's about. Shannon, what did you think of The Lost Daughter? I really enjoyed this film. The first few shots, I was like, oh, yay, I know what we're in for. We're in for a story about a woman that we don't often think about or look at or see, really, being represented in Hollywood. So I was excited about it. I had seen a friend who I enjoy who has been there for me on Facebook saying, don't don't watch this film and when i watched the film i knew exactly why she did not like this film you did not take her advice well (laughs) she this woman is a very this friend of mine is very strong very wonderful matriarchal figure grandmother and mother and she's just so wonderful and so i'm sure when she saw the last order she was like "Mm -mm, mm -mm, sir I love what this film is dealing with. Yes, her vacation goes a a little awry. It's not a vacation really anymore. But I love what it's tackling. It's tackling the difficulty of being a mother and being a separate person. And what can happen if you don't have support, aren't able to, and even when you're communicating, aren't supported after saying what you need. A little more than that happens, but there's there's moments where I'm like, why is she being this way? But I also understand that there's some stuff happening there, whether it's, you know, postpartum or just the difficulty you can have when you have a child, never mind two. So I think everything you're saying is there, and I think it's all good points, and I think it's all stuff that the movie's trying to illustrate. Or it, it is there. Everything that you're saying is there. And I do think that that's great. But I just think that all of it, overall, the material just doesn't execute what it's doing in a manner that is all that riveting or satisfying, ultimately. There is much ado about a doll that I won't, I won't go into, but that does not in any way come to a satisfying conclusion or explanation either. I was really looking forward to this movie because I do love Maggie Gyllenhaal. I think she is a very intelligent person and a great actress, one of the best actresses we have today. And for her to cross over to the other side of the camera thrills me. I think, though, that this is a good first film that gives you an indication of what kinds of stories she's interested in telling but i i just don't think overall it was executed in a manner or even the material necessarily um, worked to a satisfying whole so i give the lost daughter a six out of ten 
I give it an eight. I completely disagree with you. I think it just had a very different approach. Maybe it didn't help that we were watching the father first and then the last daughter afterwards. It's two completely different ways. It's a great comparison, actually. It's different ways of creators approaching their material and executing it. I think the last daughter is the softer approach and I'm okay with it unfolding the way it did. Hmm. Uh, yes, we had an Olivia Coleman double feature, and yes, the father definitely was executed better. I I will ag- agree. They are different, and one it was executed better. So that is The Lost Daughter. You can check for yourself and see which of us you agree with most on Netflix. And that concludes our Week in Review and the Week in Review on the whole. And now it's time for the main event which is our thoughts on the Academy Award nominations. Now, first, I want us to talk about our particular feelings about many particular snubs or things that we are glad got recognition. I want to talk about that eventually, but first, like, before addressing those things... Maybe we should start with, and and we'll probably go category by category, going through at least the top of the line awards, the major awards, spending a couple minutes on each. But just, Shannon, your general sense of the nominations this year, without getting into the nitty gritty per se, what are your general thoughts about the nominations this year? And, you know, maybe how it might reflect the fil- the year in film in general. I think this is a very odd year. I'm not very pleased at all. I am very angry about certain people being completely forgotten. Snubbed is the word. Yes. And a movie or two, I think a movie uh, that didn't get acknowledged for anything in the nominations this year. There are a couple movies where I'm like, okay, that's nice that they got nominated, but are they really Oscar nominated worthy? Mm. So I have a lot of strong feelings this year it's the first time in a while where i feel very strong about what i'm feeling yeah so that's nice because there'll be a clear cut black and white happening yeah i think it's i think it's just an odd year i think it's very odd yeah okay so that's interesting because i think you and i are actually in sync then i think first of all what is nominated here to me reflects how there wasn't really a single film that stood out at, at we really felt really kind of led the pack. The The awards leaderboard disagrees with us, and we'll, we'll talk about that. But usually there's like up, or up to 10 nominations, and you can pare that down to three to five films that are like, oh, yeah, these are the ones that are the, the real likely winners, right? And maybe even from that, you could be like, okay, this is definitely the one that's most deserving. That's doesn't really seem to be the case from our perspective this year. Also, I would say this is probably the worst bunch of nominations I have seen in my memory. And what's crazy about it is every year they can vote up to 10 films for Best Picture since 2009 and every year they don't, but this year they did include ten full films, and they still it still feels like a mess. So 
let's get into a lot of this. I want to go kind of category by category here. Starting with, let's get the ancillary major awards out of the way first. Yeah, I will also say, like, I haven't watched all the documentary features, so there are certain categories I'm not going to be able to comment on. Okay, so let's not talk about the best documentary category uh, for that reason. Let's start with, like, best animated film. Let's talk about that, okay? Best animated film, we have nominated Encanto Flea Luca... The Mitchells vs. the Machines, and Raya and the Last Dragon. Now, I will say, before I get your thoughts, Shanna, that usually, in order to qualify, a movie has to have had some release in some theater somewhere in the United States. Luca was 100% on Disney+, Plus, as I understand it. So to see it nominated is a big surprise for me. But what are your thoughts on this category? Any disappointments? Any surprises? I think it's great that Flea got nominated because animation was used in a very interesting way. Sure. I think Encanto is probably going to win because, you know, it's just this phenomenal thing. Mm-hmm. It is better than Raya and the Lost Dragon, in my opinion. I, I agree, and yes. It's it's good that Luca got on there, but it also feels... I, I don't know, something about it feels weird because... Of how Disney is treating Pixar films, I think. Yes. So I'm a little, I'm a little confused. I'm glad that they got nominated because they, they do have their strengths in that film. It's not their best, animation-wise. You did like that more than me, yes. But also the story is important, so I'm, I'm glad it got nominated. Mm. I, I think Encanto is going to win, though. So I, first of all, I say we both agree, Encanto. But you know, the, honestly. I agree with all of your your thoughts about this. I'm not really disappointed by this category. Surprised by Luca, but not ultimately disappointed because all of the major animated films that we saw last year that were worth noting got nominated. I think it's great that the Mitchells versus the Machines got nominated because um, I, I kind of expected if anything was going to get snubbed, that would be the one, and that would be the one that I'd be most upset about getting snubbed because... I think that one is probably Encanto's biggest competition, honestly, in terms of quality. And Luca being the lesser of this bunch. Yeah, I think we go Encanto, Mitchells and the Machines, Flea, Raya, Luca. That's how I would. One hundred percent agree. One hundred percent agree. So, uh, yeah. So that's 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 a positive, a net positive, na- animated feature film category. Okay. So let's move on. Should we do the acting or the scripts first? Let's do scripts. Okay. To me, these were really tough categories. First, though, we got adapted screenplay. Here's the nominations: Coda, Drive My Car, Dune. The Lost Daughter, which we just talked about, and The Power of the Dog. Mm. Shanna, these are uh, movies based on previous material. Do you have any thoughts on this category? Was there anything that you can recall that should have been nominated? I can't think of something that is forgotten. Can you? So the categories of scripts this year was really tough for me. I had a really hard time figuring out what were, in particular, the best scripts of the year. And the 
the only one that I could say probably is that that should have been was Tech Tick Boom, which is of course based ah, on the, yeah, the Broadway play and all that sort of stuff. Good point. Tick Tick Boom, which I think was written by Lin Manuel Miranda, the the adaptation of that that should have been nominated. I haven't seen Drive My Car. I mean, I've heard that as a three-hour-long Japanese film that is that is very slowly paced. So, uh, and that's one of the more recent discoveries for me. I, I I wasn't aware of that film till about a month ago. The rest, I don't know. Like, uh, obviously, I thought The Lost Daughter w- was not great. We talked about The Power of the Dog. That was one of the movies that either we didn't get or. I could not connect with that film. Yeah, that we're going to talk a, a, often about the power of dog. I'm sure. Throughout I'm here. sure. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, man. Um, I think it's great that Coda is on there. Yeah, kind of. I mean, script-wise, though, was that like one of the greatest scripts that you saw from the year that was adapted by something? I don't know. That was a really good movie, but I'm, I'm actually a little surprised. That's a, that movie getting so much attention is actually a little bit of a surprise for me. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I struggle with this category. Ah, I do not have strong opinions about this category. Let's move on to original screenplay. Yeah, let's do it. All right. The nominations were Belfast, Don't Look Up, Keen Richard, Licorice Pizza, and The Worst Person in the World. Now, Worst Person in the World is a movie that has not been playing within 70 miles of us. So we cannot comment mm. on that film. Mm-hmm. I want to see it. I've heard great things unanimously cannot comment on it but uh, as far as the rest shannon you have seen all of them yeah. what do you think yes here's, here's where i get pissed off oh. where is the lost duel yeah where is it ridley scott hasn't done um incredible stuff the last few years and he has something that was executed very well had very subtle things happening that was speaking to women's issues yeah that was so well put together and presented on screen and that that speak to today and the past and and it is not here it is not here it was snubbed i'm pissed i'm i'm so pissed so it's hard for me to get past this i so, would have liked it to have at least been nominated there what would you what 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 from this category do you think absolutely probably should... don't look up yeah. don't look up doesn't need to be there okay uh, that is not his best film you know true it's and it's not pristine either pristine Okay. It's not. All it's right. not. This, this is the pristine category. Well, I, so. I, look, I would say Don't Look Up is not his sharpest script. Mm-hmm. Right? Is that, look, that just because say? you have a history of sharp scripts doesn't mean you get automatically nominated. That's how I'm seeing it, yeah. So Belfast, I think it's great. Don't Look Up, I've already shared my thoughts. Ken Richard, okay, fine. I kind of I mean, feel... Kind of. I kind of feel that way how you feel about Coda in the previous category. Yeah. Licorice Pizza, I'm like, ugh. I feel like it's a little bit of the same thing with Don't Look Up. It's like, oh, well, it's PTA. Let's get him nominated. I don't (laughs) think it's that great a screenplay. I don't. There's fun stuff happening, Mm. and it's quirky. It's definitely better than Don't Look Up. Don't Look Up should not be in this freaking category. Okay, so strong feelings felt for the original screenplay (laughs) by you. So here's the thing. I, I don't necessarily disagree with you for most of this category, so I agree with you. Don't look up. King Richard is a good film, but one of the best scripts of the year. I don't know about that. Licorice Pizza did definitely underwhelmed. So I, I agree with you about those three. Belfast, I agree, should have been nominated. But come on. 
yeah, the last duel, but also the French dispatch. Yeah, well coordinated. Why? I mean, those two films, uh, huge oversights. Yeah. How could they not be nominated? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like, oh, In the Heights could have been nominated also for adapted screenplay as well. I, yeah, those are the ones that really kind of stand out to me the most. Uh, you could have easily replaced Don't Look Up and King Richard full with The Last Duel and French Dispatch. That's ridiculous. All right, so original screenplay... Definitely has some disappointments. Let's move on to, I think, the acting awards. Okay? Hmm. So let's go to the supporting roles. We have actor in a supporting role, supporting actor. Kieran Hines from Belfast. Troy Kotzer from CODA. Jesse Plemons in The Power of the Dog. J.K. Simmons from Being the Ricardos. And Cody Smith-McPhee from The Power of the Dog. What are your thoughts on this category, Shanna? Anything that was an oversight or uh, are you are you okay with this category i think this is a good example of the power of the dog starting to take over i mean they have two nominations in here yeah just in this category alone yeah and while that is interesting i'm also like oh good here they come that's <laughs> the storm that is the power of the dog right right belfast i love that he was nominated uh coda okay cool and being the Ricardos, J.K. Simmons, I mean, I I love the man dearly, but is this his best work? Absolutely not. And if he were to win, it would be so weird to acknowledge that role in that way. It's not the best. It's not the best. Mm. So that's where I sit with that. I know that it would be wonderful if Jesse Plemons won. Yeah. I think he's such a great actor, and I think he's well-deserving of award. So, look, here's the thing. J.K. Simmons is probably the best thing about being the Ricardos. We oh, were, I agree. We were very mixed about it. His casting was one of the best casting in that film, a film that's got some issues with the casting. You're you're right though. I I don't know if he's won before. I'd have to look that up. This would be a weird one if it, it was like the first one that he won. Yeah, you know the power of the dog, but at the same time I'm like Jesse Plemons and Cody Smith McPhee were good in them, so I'm I don't really I'm not I'm not like ah oh, damn them for being nominated ah. Oh. And we're watching Friday Night Lights right now, so to see. That guy who played Landry get to Oscar nominated status is pretty cool. And it's I, so I, exciting. I'd be proud of him if he won. Troy Kutzer, I think, is a very interesting nomination. I think it's very cool to have him called out. I don't necessarily think his performance was among the greatest of the year. But also, I don't know that there's a lot of other performances, supporting performances that were. So, you have something to share, Shanna? Yeah, it looks like J.K. Simmons did win an Oscar for Whiplash uh, okay. so, in Best Supporting Actor. So, I mean, he's okay. good. There we go. There we go. And that's a deserving performance there. And Kieran Hines is probably my pick in this category overall, but I would be proud about uh, Jesse Plemons winning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right, uh, supporting actress, Jesse Buckley for The Lost Daughter, Ariana DeBose for West Side Story, Judy Dench for Belfast, 
Kirsten Dunst for The Power of the Dog, and Ingenue Ellis for Keen Richards. I believe Ingenue Ellis played the wife in Keen Richard. I'm going to check myself on that one. Yeah, I'm a fan of Kirsten Dunst, uh, but I don't know from what I did see. I know I didn't finish the last 15 minutes of The Power of the Dog. I don't know if she needed to be nominated here. Well, you, you missed the last half hour of The Power of the Dog, not the Ew. last five minutes, but yeah. Well, I'll just shut my mouth then. <laughs> I love that Judy Dench is nominated. Mm. God, I love that woman. Jesse Buckley, I... I is that the the younger version? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I guess that's good. I'm I'm mixed about I don't know. I'm kind of wishy-washy about this category. I feel strongly about Judy Dench. Mm. What about like something being missed? Is there anything that was missed? Uh, I I don't know. Maybe the actress who played in Being the Ricardos as I forget the character's name. Why are you advocating for this fucking movie? I'm just saying she was good in it, and she had a, a, a solid scene or two in it. It's not a terrible movie, you know. We were, I was, I was fairly positive on it, even though I had issues with it. But yeah, maybe her. I don't know that there's anybody that was missed per se, but I will say that I think that Judy Dench's uh, a nomination is about as obligatory as Meryl Streep's nomination when she's in anything. I'm actually kind of shocked Meryl Streep wasn't nominated for Don't Look Up just because she seems to be nominated every time she has a role, <laughs> you know? Sure. Uh, but in, in place of that, we got Judy Dench. I don't know that her performance was the standout of Belfast, but she was lovely in the film. I don't think Kirsten Dunst is the best in the whole cast in the power of the dog she was probably the weakest link for me not a huge fan of her performance in the power of the dog not a huge fan of her character and how it's written either i I wasn't a huge fan of 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 the lost daughter so to me this is kind of like um a swiss cheese category ingenue ellis is an interesting interesting pick for keen richard i don't know if i would prefer any of the actresses who played the daughters or what, but that's an interesting uh, pick to, to pull out from that movie. Ariana DeBose is my, by far my pick here in this category for West side story. I thought when I, when I watched that film, she was one of the ones that impressed me most. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's a, it's a, t- it's a rough category for sure this year. Let's let's move on to actor and elite lead actor, best actor. Javier Bardem being the Ricardos. Benedict Cumberbatch, the power of the dog. Andrew Garfield, tick tick boom. Will Smith, Keen Richard, Denzel Washington, the tragedy of Macbeth. Now we were hoping now by now we would have seen the tragedy of Macbeth. Hopefully in the next week we'll have knocked that one out. We have not been able to see that yet. No doubt that Denzel is the bomb in it though. <laughs> Shannon, what are your thoughts on lead actor? Do you, do you have strong feelings? Was there anybody that was overlooked for you here? Why in the bloody hell is Javier Bardem in be, being in the Ricardos? Leading role. Yeah. It was not that well done. Yeah. I, I like the man. I don't think this is a great performance. Benedict Cumberbatch, that makes sense. What I did see was good, and who doesn't like him? 
Andrew Garfield. That's great that Tick, Tick, Boom got something and, and that it was Andrew Garfield to represent that, especially after, you know, I don't know Andrew Garfield that well. I do know him from, you know, the reboot of Spider-Man. And that's that's about it that no, I can think man. of. You, you've seen uh, Never Let Me Go. Oh, Never Let Me Go. Sure. Yeah. So it's nice. And, that and you've seen The Social this. Network. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway. And then we have uh, Will Smith and Denzel Washington. Uh, what's nice about the actor in a leading role is there are only two white men here. And there are three men of color. So that's very exciting. I really wish that we saw the tragedy of Macbeth already. But maybe it's going to come down to between Benedict and Denzel. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I agree with you about Harvey Arbidem. I think he was miscast. I don't think he was able to... I mean, he was able to pull something out of it, out of the job, mm. to make it watchable. But, dude, like, you may as well have cast Antonio Banderas as Desi Arnaz. Like, the, you couldn't get further from the character or the from the person. So, ah, that was a rough nomination for me. That was a rough performance for me. <sighs> Benedict Cumberbatch and the Power of the Dog? This is where I start to kind of be like, okay, all right, enough. This is getting a little <laughs> carried away. Benedict Cumberbatch is just naturally like awesome, but was his performance one of the best, most mind-blowing or impressive performances of the year? Who do you think got left out? Oh, I will tell you. Mm. So here's what I'm looking through another document that kind of shows all the movies that I've seen this year because I'm realizing I feel like I'm missing stuff. Dev Patel from The Green Knight. That one now that I wasn't a huge fan of the Green Knight. I'm very interested to hear what you're gonna say next. But come on, that definitely was more deserving than Javier Bardem and being the Ricardos, and sure. probably more deserving than Will Smith and King Richard. Mm. So that's that's one that uh, I I really feel like they missed the boat on. You know, now that I think about it, I do feel like Adam Driver should have gotten. Maybe some sort of is he a lead or is he a supporting? I guess he's more supporting, so I'm a little behind on the category update. So yeah, you know that's a that's a tricky one, but I I don't disagree with you. I think yeah, I think Dev Patel is probably the biggest o- oversight in this category. I kind of think that he probably should have been recognized. Yeah, I don't know, but my pick out of the ones that's nominated, Andrew Garfield, Tick Tick Boom. For sure, having not seen Denzel Washington's performance, Best Actress. This oh, is yes. Let's uh, talk about yeah, that. Yeah, we're gonna have thoughts about yeah. this one. We have Jessica Chastain for The Eyes of Tammy Faye, Olivia Coleman for The Lost Daughter, Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers. I really did want to watch that, but it looks like it is not happening. It's still in theaters and nowhere local. Yeah, Nicole Kidman for being the Ricardos. Uh huh. And Kristen Stewart for Spencer. Yeah. So I'm very pleased about Kristen Stewart being there. I wish that I knew more about Penelope Cruz, but I did hear her on NPR talking about Parallel Mothers, and that was interesting. And then uh, Jessica Chastain, I'm surprised about. Yeah. But she did inhabit the role. Unlike 
Nicole Kidman, what is she doing there? Again, I like the woman. I like the things she does most of the time. But being the Ricardos, I saw Nicole Kidman. I did not see Lucia Ball. So what's interesting about this category is we've got Kristen Stewart as Princess Diana. Yeah. We've got... Nicole Kidman as Lucille Ball. Yeah. And we've got uh, Jessica Chastain as Tammy Faye. Tammy and Faye if Baker, you yeah. if you compare those three women, Nicole Kidman should not be on there. She really should yeah. not. Yeah. And you know who should be there? Let me tell you who should be there. Jodie Comer. Yeah. I am so pissed. I am so pissed that she is not there. She is supposed to be there. Uh, if you watch The Last Duel, you see... Uh, the phenomenal acting that she does. It's just brilliant and subtle and powerful and just really, in, you know, I need to stop talking because I, I sound like a preacher or something. So I'm pissed about that category, fairly pissed, uh, especially when you start, you know, really getting into it. Okay. So look, I don't think that The Lost Daughter is one of Olivia Coleman's best performances i haven't seen she's becoming the new meryl streep perhaps i haven't seen penelope cruz nicole kinman i agree with you is baffling somewhat impressed that jessica chastain got notice for uh tammy uh the eyes of tammy faye because we were fairly positive on that film and it seemed to have slipped through the cracks overall in terms of awareness and attention and all that sort Mm -hmm. of stuff not a great movie per se, but a really good one that we were positive on. We we liked her in that. Kristen Stewart in Spencer. I am relieved that she is nominated. Mm-hmm. I am relieved that yeah. she is nominated. I wish, instead of a couple of these others, that the following was given some attention. I wish that the lead actress whose name escapes me right now, in Shiva Baby. Oh, my God, yeah. Was nominated for Best Actress. That would have been a great single nomination for that really good film. So Shiva Baby, completely snubbed and overlooked. Perhaps, maybe Riley Keough for Zola? Maybe she's a supporting actress? Rachel Sennett is the actress in Shiva Baby. Thank you, Shanna. That needs um, some recognition. Maybe Riley Keough and Zola. Oh, Zola um, should have been maybe an sh- adapted screenplay. Yes. My God. Yes. It should have been in there. I agree with you there. That is fascinating. I do agree with you. That is a overlooked film. I don't know. Maybe you'd think Taylor Page is yeah. the lead, but I, I don't. I, I, I thought Riley Keough was a more interesting transformation. You know, maybe she's a more of a supporting actress, but uh, she was snubbed. And I 100% agree with you. I am baffled, absolutely baffled, by the complete oversight of Jodie Comer in The Last Duel, one of the best films of the year, one of the best performances by yeah. far of the year. But please, for all that is good and holy, Kristen Stewart better win for Spencer. Oh, yeah. I haven't even made, like, well, who do I think should win? Yeah. Uh, I I wish I saw Penelope Cruz and Parallel Mothers. Uh, But so far, I'm on the same page as you. Yeah, Kristen Stewart for sure. Okay. So three more categories, I think, and then any other random thoughts you have. Uh, So director, best director. Only five can be nominated. 
Belfast, Drive My Car, Paul Thomas Anderson's Licorice Pizza, Kenneth Branagh was uh, Belfast, Jane Campion, The Power of the Dog, and Steven Spielberg, West Side Story. I'm baffled that West Side Story is in here. Yes, Steven Spielberg does good work. Is this the best? No, it's not. It's not even a, a great update, in my opinion. Mm. And I know that there's other people that feel like it is a good update, and that's okay. That's fine, but I'm going to stick with my side. Uh, if The Power of the Dog wins, it's, prob- it's probably going to win. It's great that it's a woman winning it, so I'm excited about that in that way. Uh, I don't think that Licorice Pizza should be on there. Uh, Drive My Car, I haven't seen, and I'm pleased that Belfast is there. Okay. So here's the thing. I think that a rewatch of the 1961, I think it was Robert Wise maybe, who directed West Side Story, that would have benefited our viewing of the Steven Spielberg West Side Story. That said, do I think that is the best musical of the year even? No. Do I think Lin-Manuel Miranda should have been nominated for Best Director? Absolutely. In his directorial debut, crafting Tick, Tick, Boom and adapting that, a movie that's sort of all over the place in time and place, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lin-Manuel should have definitely been nominated over Spielberg for Tick, Tick, Boom here. I just, I don't know about the power of the dog, man. We talked about that, and I just, I don't think i'm i'm with that one uh, in its nomination the best directing of the year coming from jane campion and the power of the dog i don't think i can really like get down with that mm-hmm. <laughs> but also i'm like well belfast was like my pick for the third best movie of the year do i think it's the best directed uh, it's one of the best directed i'm cool with it being nominated but yeah. i don't know i think the major oversight here was Ridley Scott. Yeah. For the last duel. Doing something really good and, and not getting that acknowledgement. Yeah. That's upsetting. Lin Manuel Miranda, Ridley Scott, Wes Anderson for the French Dispatch, all huge oversights. I would even be cool if Denis Villeneuve was nominated for Dune. I, I don't know. And maybe even the director of Spencer. Yeah, I would take the director over. Uh, I would take the director for Spencer over Dune. Yeah. Okay, fair Even enough. Even though I love Denny, I haven't seen Drive My Car, so I cannot comment on that. But two or three of these shouldn't not. I, I, yeah, could easily have been replaced, and some of them are just baffling. I just don't understand the snubs whatsoever. And now we get right down to it: best picture. We actually have, for the first time, a full 10, okay? Now, oh, well, okay, first of all, let's list them. Belfast, Coda, Don't Look Up, Drive My Car, Dune, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and West Side Story. Now, first of all, how many of these have we seen? I think we have seen eight. Everything except Drive My Car and Nightmare Alley. Right. Nightmare Alley and Macbeth are the two that we haven't seen of all the nominees that we need to. Plus Parallel Mothers. You mentioned that before. So all that aside, Shanna, your thoughts on Best Picture nominees? Uh, well, Oversights? 
Are you are you happy with it? The last duel should have gotten nominated here. It could have taken the place of Don't Look Up. Yeah. Yeah, totally agree. Ken Richard's good, but it's not that good. Right? West Side Story's fine, but it's not that good. Right? Zola would have been a more interesting pick. Oh, Zola would have been interesting. Shiva Baby would have been interesting also. Much more interesting. Very interesting picks, yeah. Um, Licorice Pizza, it's not the best picture. It isn't. No, I was I was a little underwhelmed by Licorice Pizza. I think it's great that Coda is there. I, I don't think it's the best film, but I like that it's there. I think that what we're what I'm running into here is there's a couple categories where I'm like, I'm glad to see you here, but it's not necessarily the best of that category. Yeah. So I kind of feel a little weird about it. Yeah. So, you know, if I compare like Coda versus Zola, I'm like, well, I would have preferred to see Zola. So this is a, a strange category. I'm rather baffled. I'm rather pissed about it. I think things got ignored. I think too many other things got the attention that didn't need the attention. And I'm pretty sure Power of the Dog is going to win. I would love it if something else won. And the unfortunate thing is I don't know what I want winning. It would be nice if Belfast won, but it's it's not. <laughs> that's the spirit. I, I know that that sounds bad, but we've been doing this long enough where every year we would have an Oscar party and we would do should win and will win. Yeah. And, and that's what's going to happen here for this category. Absolutely. <sighs> okay. So, yeah, Shiva Baby would be a cool... So I would be more okay with Shiva Baby than Zola probably being nominated. I think Tick, Tick, Boom should have been nominated. French Dispatch should have been nominated. The Last Duel should have been nominated. Those three or four films alone would have made a much more exciting ballot for Best Picture here. And much more deserving ballot for Best Picture here. I could strike Don't Look Up, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, West Side Story. If you have to have the power of the dog in there, fine, whatever. I don't agree at all i think i ranked the power of the dog number 42 (laughs) i thought luca was a better film than the power of the dog for crying out loud uh the green knight how is a movie if we're talking about movies that i didn't get how is it that the power of dog dominated not the not the green knight well, now you're bringing up other categories, uh, other movies that really should have gotten in. That, that's you that's know? the idea, yes. So the, <laughs> I'm forgetting. So The Green Knight really should have gotten nominated for something, and it's not on here. I'm not seeing it anywhere on our list. Well, we'll talk more about that in a second here. So, yeah, I think this is a very baffling, terrible... This is why I think it's the worst collection of nominees i've Mm. seen and it's disappointing because it is the most collection of nominees i have seen the biggest collection i am rooting out of all of these i am rooting for belfast it is the one i thought was the best of all of these i like to be optimist but a cynical side of me agrees with you Mm -hmm. that it might not win it's a tough tough honestly this is a tough competition the way that it's been laid out it's really like it's really crazy, so very underwhelming. Any other thoughts, random thoughts you want to share about the nominations f- 
for the upcoming Oscars at the end of March? Man, I just don't know. I mean, film editing, at least Tick, Tick, Boom is in there. You had commented on how the time weaving was happening there. Yeah, yeah. So that's good. It's it's in there. Yeah. It looks like, you know, Drive My Car is probably worth watching because it's in the international section as well as Best Picture. And the last time that happened was Parasite, right? Yeah, well, the mo- yeah. Most recent. Only a couple years, yeah. Uh, original score is... Uh, Encanto is is probably going to win, and I'd like it to win. Uh, we've got Dune in there, and I don't. I wasn't Im- that impressed with Dune's score. Mm. What have we got here? Original song, Dos Guitos. I mean, it really should have been. No one talks about Bruno, so let's. I get don't that know straight. if I agree with that, but okay. <laughs> you know, this is a category original song where whenever there's a freaking Bond movie, Bond wins. So I'd really like it if Bond did not win. I don't know that it deserves it this time. Mm-hmm. I think that was one of the only things I didn't, I wasn't thrilled about about that movie. Down to Joy was really nice. That was from Belfast. Yeah. So let me let me point out. By far, the power of the dog is leading in nominations. Twelve nominations. Mm. Okay. I think it's clear that we think that it should win the least of those. And sometimes that happens where a movie has so many nominations and it either is shut out completely or it only wins like one to three. Well, yeah. I mean, I guess this could be a surprise. Mm -hmm. You know, Power of the Dog might walk away with actor and supporting actor. Right. I'd I'd be happy if it walked away with supporting, as we've discussed. Right. Yeah. So uh, and then the second to that is Dune with 10. I think you're pointing out most of that is because of technical nominations. Then Belfast and West Side Story tie for a distant third with seven. And and it goes on from there. Narrow margins from there. So, I mean, I, I think it's crazy that Power of Dog has is is one of the most nominated movies in history. I, I just I just am baffled by that completely. I could see a couple nominations here or there, but yeah, that's just nuts to me. Cinematography is uh, how can again the Green Knight be nominated not nominated for best cinematography. That was one of the things I appreciated about that film. Yeah, it was a really well visually crafted film. And you're right, it did get shut out. Completely. That That's just crazy to me. Uh, Spencer for cinematography, I think, was deserving. I don't think, I think it got yeah. shut out of that. I think uh, Kristen is the only nomination that Spencer earned. That is baffling. Free Guy, I believe, got nominated for visual effects. And I learned through the special feature that is hugely deserving because they had to create technology in order to achieve something in the third act of that film. So that's really cool. I just I feel like In the Heights just totally shafted. And I think it was much more deserving of some some recognition. But those are mostly my thoughts. I just just this general feeling of <laughs> when it comes to these nominations, you know? And I know a lot of people are very negative and very cynical about the Academy Awards to the point where people have lost and feel like there's any integrity. These were the things, the things for decades that determined, helped uh, determine what was the best in film. And yeah, they've made some major errors over the past 20, 30 years. But I feel like this is the most baffling of all. 
I, I do. We still obviously have some affection for the Oscars. We do still have some respect for the Oscars. We we just feel it's completely fair to criticize it when something like this batch of nominations happens. Um, so we're not a, not a big fan. Not a big fan. Overly baffled and stumped. Uh, but feel free to share your thoughts on any of these points that we raise and your general thoughts on the Oscar nominations. Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. Now, speaking of films that were forgotten, Shanna, we're going to talk about our forgotten movies. See what I did there? See, it's not forgotten. Mm-hmm. It's forgotten. Okay, so first of all, film phase, in case you're not familiar. Actually, that would be a great list. Oh, God. Snubbed Oscar films? Perhaps. Perhaps. Films that were snubbed by the Oscars are our favorites. So Film Faves is our segment of the show where we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic for the purpose, partially, of sharing with you our taste on film, but also, and most especially in this case, to help expose you to movies you have not seen before. This is, of all the categories we've ever done, all the subjects we've ever done, this is the biggest one of trying to expose you to movies that you probably haven't seen before. Oh, and by the way, to this end, we try to point out when movies are available on subscription streaming services, uh, particularly on Amazon Prime, Disney+, Hulu, HBO Max, Netflix and Apple TV. So, forgotten film. What constitutes a film that's forgotten? Well, for us, as far as we could tell, a movie that nobody talks about, or for the most part, when we bring it up, no one seems to be aware of it or having seen it. That's that's basically the main crux. That's the main thing that we looked at and, and took into consideration. Maybe it was a movie that was popular 30 years ago to an extent, but nowadays, 30 years later, you know, it's just not in the public consciousness or in the in the, the pop culture consciousness at all. Another thing that we thought about when we were doing this list was is it streamable? Or well, does it have to be rented? Well, that was something I thought about in terms of just trying to cater to the whole, like, allowing people access to be able to see these forgotten films, you know, make that easier. What was surprising to me, and I don't know if you found this to be true, what was surprising to me was how many of these movies are not on a subscription service, which maybe adds credence to them as picks, but I think think they are at least available to rent on Amazon. Most of mine are available to rent on Apple. Okay, interesting. Did you have any challenges with crafting this list? It was hard for me to remember what my forgotten films. (laughs) (laughs) Very ironic, very good. Um, I can't remember what spurred this idea. It was obviously something that we were thinking about, and we were like, remember this movie, remember this movie, and no one talks about it, and we were like, this will be a great list, but I can't even remember those movies that inspired the list. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> well, they might be here, and I'm just not remembering. Mm, yeah. So I had a huge problem because I ended up making a list of like 47 movies or something and trying to just cut that down to 12 was 
a real chore for me. Like, even if I cut cut it down, I still had, like, two dozen movies. And so trying to pick two dozen movies from the 47 or whatever was really hard. And I even tried to just include movies that were available to stream. And even then, not many of my picks are available to stream, unfortunately. But again... If they're not on a subscription service that we mentioned, they're probably on Amazon or Apple TV Plus, apparently, to rent. So unless there's any other thoughts you had about this topic, Shanna, let's dig in with your 12th favorite forgotten film. My 12th favorite forgotten film is from 2006. It is Over the Hedge. The animated film that actually has some really great commentary on uh, how animals and creatures are affected by development of properties. Mm, Urban sprawl, yeah. Yeah. A scheming raccoon fools a mismatched family of forest creatures into helping him repay a debt of food by invading the new suburban sprawl that popped up while they were hibernating and learns a lesson about himself, uh, family himself. And that stars Bruce Willis, Gary Shandling, Steve Carell, Wanda Sykes, uh, William Shatner's in there, Nick Nolte, Thomas Hayden Church, Addison Janney, Eugene Levy. I mean, the, it carries on. Even Avril Lavigne does a little pop in over there. It's just such a cool cast, and it's a great film. It has some great comedic timing and fun, quotable lines. That is a good call. It is insane with that cast mm-hmm. and how amusing and humorous that movie is and fun it is that it, it just has been completely forgotten. Yeah, my family quotes it sometimes, so it's a lot of fun. My 12th favorite is, uh, well, really, a lot of this was an excuse to bring up 80s movies or whatever that that um, that I don't get to talk about very much. And one of them is The Secret of My Success from 1987, my 12th favorite. Grew up with this movie. I don't think anybody who was born at the tur- after the turn of the century or even in the late 90s has heard of this movie or seen it. Star is Michael J. Fox. He's a farm boy who goes to the big city. He has dreams of being successful, but he has to create a double life in order to work his way towards that success. And it has Richard Jordan as his CEO uncle, who's a bit of a jerk. It's a fun movie. It's one of those 80s, very 80s movies. But it is fun. It's one of my favorite Michael J. Fox movies. It might be Back to the Future and then my Secret of My Success in terms of favorite Michael J. Fox movies for me. I, yes, I like this more than Teen Wolf. A lot of people love Teen Wolf. I like this more. So uh, my 12th favorite forgotten film, Secret of My Success from 1987. My number 11 is The Woman from 1939, a study of the lives and romantic entanglements of various interconnected women. This was remade in 2008, and it was shit. Uh, What's great about The Woman from 1939 is this is all about women, just women. There are no men in this film. It's, It's directed by a man. But it is just such a great opportunity and look into that time, what women were like, how they might have behaved. And it's it's very white. There aren't any other uh, cultures being represented there. But it is still an interesting look into that time. 
Yeah, uh, uh, George Cukor was known for making female-driven films at the time. I believe he was gay also. Oh, he also did Gaslight, so he's my friend. Yeah, he's (laughs) he's awesome. Great cast in that film, the women. And also interesting how, like, men still have this presence over, over... the film as they are talked about and referenced and all that sort of stuff. It probably does not pass the Bechdel test. Maybe. I don't (laughs) know. That would be interesting. Because there are women that get together at some sort of uh, resort and they're all talking about their, their men. Yeah, I don't think 100% of the time they're all t- always talking about men in the film. Oh, it's I don't a, know. It's an over two-hour long film, if I recall. Oh, I don't know. But that's a great pick. It would be an interesting look. I love that film, too. That is an excellent pick. The Women, 1939. My 11th favorite is not nearly as good, but I love it. I've always thought it was fun. A lot of people may remember one of Robert Zemeckis' first films called Romancing the Stone. It's not remembered well these days. It's not, you know, people talk more about Back to the Future and Forrest Gump and even Polar Express, for crying out loud, before they'll talk about Romancing the Stone. And it's a good film, but I actually love the sequel to Romancing the Stone, 1985's The Jewel of the Nile, available on HBO Max. Now, The director has said of this film, not Robert Zemeckis, another director has said that mistakes were made in terms of representing culture, uh, certain cultures with the villain in this one. All right. Fair enough. But there's a lot of fun set pieces in, in this film. And I love the chemistry between Kathleen Turner, Michael Douglas and Danny DeVito. It's a fun film, I think. The whole jet with the space invaders. You guys don't know what I'm referencing, but it's a it's a hilarious movie. You should check it out. It's on HBO Max. Jewel of the Nile from 1985. Well, that's great that there's something that's available. My number 10 is Rat Race from 2001. A Las Vegas casino magnate determined to find a new avenue for wagering sets up a race for money. This is quite the cast. There's a lot of different people in here varying in success. Yeah. We've got Breckenmayer, Amy Smart, Whoopi Goldberg, Vince Villeuf, uh, which I've seen in a couple things, Cuba Gooding Jr., Mm-hmm. And Seth Green, Gloria Allred makes a, an appearance, so that's a little fun. And uh, what, uh, John Lo- John Lovitz, Kathy Najimy. So th- it's it's kind of all over the place, and it's a little bit of a chaotic film, but I find it quite fun. We've even got John Cleese and Rowan Atkinson in there. Yeah. So I have a lot of fun with this film. I've mentioned it before. It's it's uh, kind of a riff on. Another movie that might can be a contender for this list. <laughs> it's a it's a mad 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 world. Oh, it's a mad 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 world. Uh, is a Criterion film. It is, mm-hmm. but how many people do you know have seen that movie? And and especially since that movie is chock full of even better stars, by mm-hmm. the way, of okay. its time comparatively. I, I will tell you that that was a 
a movie that would get watched every, I believe, Friday or Saturday at my father's home since he was about eight or ten. Mm, very good. Very good. Yeah, that, but that was how long ago? Many, many years. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Rat Race, though, uh, that is a very silly movie by Jerry Zucker, who's known as part of being part of the Zucker Brothers and directed Airplane. So very silly film, Rat Race is. My 10th favorite is Sneakers from 1992. I was wondering if this would make your list, actually. This was one that I, I just was wrestling with. I was like, oh, I, I can't not have this movie. This is, talk about a forgotten film. You know, when Sidney Poitier passed away, everybody was all like, oh, yes, guess who's coming to dinner? Ah, oh, yes, Lily's in the field and all these other films. But, like, those Sneakers. <laughs> You know, sneakers <laughs> brought together like a huge cast. Robert Redford, oh, of course. Now I'm going. I'm impressed for actually saying the names, and I'm forgetting them. Robert Redford, River Phoenix, Dan Aykroyd, the Ben Kingsley is in it, and and uh, David Strathairn, one of Shanna's favorite people. Who, whenever I bring him up, uh, you know, she can't remember his name, but it's, but she loves him anyway. Uh, Phil Alden Robinson directed this keeper film, basically, of these older spy people trying to get this McGovern. I I can't believe how well this movie holds up, but also, like, given the cast, it's stunning how forgotten this film is. It is so good and so fun, really. And unfortunately, River Phoenix died, like, the next year after this was released. This was a birthday movie for me. I actually saw it at the age of 12 in the theaters and always really enjoyed it i highly recommend hunting it down sneakers from 1992 my number nine is persepolis from 2007 an animated black and white film of a precocious and outspoken iranian girl growing up during the islamic revolution it's based on the marjan satrapi comic Mm -hmm. i mean you can say comic but really it's the size of a bible well it's a graphic novel Mm mm-hmm This is one of those films where I just, I crave watching it. And even though it's on my stack and has been on my stack for a very long time, I wish I had a digital copy of it so that I could watch it at any point. Uh, It's a a fairly long film, but it's completely worth it. Following this girl's life from about, I think, age four to into adulthood. And young adulthood, for sure. Long film, it's 96 minutes. I thought it was two hours. (laughs) I don't know why I thought this. Speaking of forgotten stuff. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, uh, I own it on Blu-ray, and it was 10 bucks, so totally worth the buy. If you need a blind buy, way to spend your money. Yeah, that is an excellent film. And, yeah, one that I don't hear very many people mention, really. My ninth favorite forgotten film is Mr. Allen's Opus from 1995, available on Disney+. Plus. This is a film in which Richard Dreyfuss plays a band teacher. He actually got this gig as a side gig while he tried creating his magnum opus orchestration, you know, composition. Uh, he, he had aspirations of being a famous composer. And this darn teaching job just consumed his life this you know despite how i describe it this movie for like a week or two inspired me to be a music teacher uh, i thought it was just really moving and great uh, 
Yeah, just for a week or two. Just for a week or two. Just for a week or two. Okay. But yeah, I I thought it was very moving, very inspiring. I think Richard Dreyfuss is great in it. He he has a, a son who turns out to be deaf. I even own the soundtrack to this film, which is kind of, you know, it has some 60s stuff in it. And I love what his magnum opus ends up being. It's fantastic. Mr. Allen's opus, a really good mid-level drama, uh, comedy drama, I guess, with some moving moments from 1995 available on Disney+. Plus. My number eight is from 1998. It is something that I would enjoy watching during my preteen sort of era and I haven't seen it in a very long time probably since around then and it is Strike. In the 1960s a group of friends at an all-girls school learn that their school is going to be combined with a nearby all-boys school. They concoct a plan to save their school while dealing with everyday problems along the way and now I'm remembering why I love this film. (laughs) I had started my school career in a all-girls school and if, if you wanted to be an all-girls school, that's what you want, you know. Uh, the cast in this is really funny. We've got Kristen Dunst, and I'm pretty sure that was my first exposure to her. Lynn Redgrave, Gabby Hoffman, Rachel Lee Cook. We've got the guy from Mad Men, Vincent Carthaser, Monica Keener, Heather Mataroso, mm-hmm. uh, who's in Princess Bride. She's the friend. Oh, and yeah. And we've got Merritt Weaver, who's in Marriage Story. She's the sister. And, and The Walking Dead. And, oh, yeah, and The Walking Dead. And it, it carries on for a little bit, so I'm not going to mention everyone, but people who have gone on to do a couple of other things in the world. It's directed by Sarah Kanokan and and written by her, too. It's, it's just a really fun film from what I can remember, and it was nice to see a bunch of girls, like, Learning how to be a girl by watching these girls. Uh, sure, not all the choices are great, but it was a really fun film. Excellent. My eighth favorite forgotten film is uh, one by Joe Dante. A lot of people, when they talk about Joe Dante, if they talk about Joe Dante, they talk about Gremlins. They probably talk about Gremlins before they talk about Joe Dante. <laughs> but I, my favorite Joe Dante movie is actually a movie that doesn't get mentioned at all. And most people I talk to about it or mention it to have never heard of it. It is called Inner Space. It is from 1987, also starring Dennis Quaid, Meg Ryan, and Martin Short, and Robert Picardo. As well as Ken, Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy from Invasion of the Body Snatchers. He mm-hmm. plays the bad guy in this. Oh, uh, that's really funny. Yeah, I think this movie is hilarious. There's some fan freaking tastic physical comedy in here. I think this is arguably Martin Short's best comedic performance. He, is, he makes me laugh so hard in the, with this film. Dennis Quaid is awesome. Meg Ryan is very early in her career, actually, at this point, but uh, very, very winning as the romantic lead. A very cool concept. The idea, in case you haven't heard of it, of course, is that Dennis Quaid accidentally gets injected into Martin Short's body. Because that happens on a day-to-day basis. Right, as you do. Yes, like magic school bus all over again. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, it, it's a, it's a, a cool twist on Fantastic Voyage. 
and I love it. That is Inner Space from 1987. My number seven, haha, is from 2007. Hey, that's the second time that's happened. That's kind of fun. Huh. It's Nancy Drew. Teen detective Nancy Drew accompanies her father on a business trip to Los Angeles where she seeks out clues to a murder mystery involving a movie star. Super fun. Got a couple of different uh, appearances here. It's starring Emma Roberts, who I don't think gets enough good roles or attention uh her father tate donovan and we've got is played by tate donovan is, yeah. yeah bruce willis makes an appearance laura harring and pat we've carroll. got pat carroll pat carroll who plays ursula yeah in, in little mermaid yeah so it's it's kind of quirky it's fun it's happening in la so there's funny la stuff happening very so cool that's my number seven nancy drew all right my, that's that's cool the best years of our lives is my oh, seventh favorite forgotten film. Now, this is a film that was nominated for Best Picture. I think it was nominated for a slew of awards. It's one of those Academy Award nominees that like most people haven't heard of or seen. It's like one of the lesser known Best Picture winners. But this was a huge deal at the time in the 1940s, 1946, you know, right shortly after the war ended. It's about people from the war coming back home and trying to deal with life back home. And it it looks at that through the lens of three or four different men and their personal lives and their different struggles. And it is extraordinary movie. I highly recommend checking out The Best Years of Our Lives on Amazon Prime from 1946. My number six, R, from 2005, is Lord of War. I was hoping to create a little thing there. Yeah. And uh, Lord of War stars Nicolas Cage. He's an arms dealer who's confronting the morality of his work as he's being chased by the Interpol an Interpol agent. Uh, this is spanning over a few years and it also stars Jared Leto and Ethan Hawke. It's directed by Andrew Nichol. And I believe this made my list for the best openings. Uh, pre. Yes. Yes. Opening title sequences. That one. Yeah. So it's really wonderful. It's a great use of your time. You know, whenever something's hitting two hours, I'm like, should I use it? Should I not? Should I watch it? Should I not watch it? Go ahead and watch this. It's really great. There's some really funny moments. A couple scenes shot in South Africa, too. Really? Two hours is where you get on the fence? I'm getting older, Jeff. I don't have time. <laughs> Please. All right. Uh, my, we are at the halfway mark. My sixth favorite forgotten film is a great, uh, lit, what do you call it? Uh, um, a Littman's test for exactly what we're talking about here and also whether or not someone's really a movie lover. I know this from personal experience because way back in the day when Blockbuster and Hollywood Video, Hollywood Video was a thing, I went to the movie video store I was and looking for to watch a movie I haven't seen in years and I asked the clerk, "Do you have the Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai Across the Eighth Dimension. <laughs> and they looked at you and they were like, somebody get this kid out of here. Something wrong with him. They looked at me blankly and they said, what? <laughs> and I said, you know, Buckaroo Bonsai. 
as if everybody should know this movie. And everybody should know this movie. I was baffled that anybody remotely close to my age had not heard of the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. This is the coolest movie you have not seen. 1984 is about... What is he? He's like a, a scientist, a surgeon, a rock star, all these things at once. And he's fighting aliens from another dimension. And it has one of the coolest 1980s casts. Let me let me share with you this cast from Buckaroo Bonsai. I'm actually surprised that this isn't higher on your list. It really is one of those favorites of yours. Where trying to buy this is, what, 80 dollars dude it's more there's a a really great edition of this on blu-ray that went out of print i want to say it was by arrow video it might have been one of the other ones and yeah that thing is hard to afford so this thing has peter weller who went on to be robocop john lithgow ellen barkin jeff goldblum christopher lloyd robert ito ronald lacy who was in raiders of the lost ark Clancy Brown is in it. Carl Lundley, Dan Hedaya, Vincent Chiavelli, so Bill Henderson. Just so many great character actors and other stars are people who went on and became stars. Uh, yeah, I can't recommend Adventures of Buckaroo Bonsai strongly enough. And you're in luck. It is on Amazon Prime. Oh, my gosh, that's crazy. Yes, it is my sixth favorite, so buckle up for the la- the last five here. Oh, my gosh. Well, if you're going to bring that much energy, I might, I don't know, I guess i got to amp it up a little. My number five is from 1987. It's a birthier movie, Harry and the Hendersons. I love this movie so much. The Henderson family adopt a friendly Sasquatch, as in Bigfoot, but have a hard time trying to keep the legend a secret. I, this is happening in Seattle. It goes all the way to Mount St. Helens, so it's kind of getting a is lot of St. views. St. Helens or Rainier? Oh, shit. Well, I thought it was St. Helens. Okay, because Rainier would make sense, because that's more north. Maybe it is... Never mind what I said. So Maybe. You know, I hear people talk about Sleepless in Seattle all the time, but I never hear people talking about about this one. And there's a couple scenes that happen in, in Ballard and, and such. Mm. And we get to see a little bit of Seattle traffic that hasn't really changed in this film. <laughs> so, Just the cars. I, I really love this film. It's so fun. It's quirky. It's got a lot of different people in it. it. Also a John Lithgow movie like uh, Buckaroo yep. Banzai. Oh, well, that's... No, we're not going there. <laughs> I You can tell who's not a fan of Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> Melinda Dillon. Lainey Kazan. David Sachet, who I believe was Perot, if I remember correctly. Oh. oh, oh, okay. And then Emmett Walsh. Yes, Emmett uh, Walsh. He's awesome. Yeah. So uh, directed by William Deere. I thought that this was really fun. And I, uh, growing up in South Africa, nobody knew what I was talking about. So uh, <laughs> that is why it's on the list. Uh, almost made my list. That was one I was really struggling with because this list was partially an excuse to mention movies like Harry and the Hendersons. I think anyone that's living in Washington State needs to own this movie. I don't care if you get it in the 50 cents bin, the $1 bin. I don't care. Go get it. And I actually had the soundtrack on cassette because Joe Cocker co-scenes the the theme song to it. Uh, uh, I can't remember the name of it right now. It's, I'm blanking. There's too many things in my head. But yeah, I love that one too. 
Thank you for giving Harry and the Hendersons a shout out. My fifth favorite movie is a movie I recently showed my son and he was like, how is it that nobody knows this movie? This is crazy. That movie is from 1998. It is Dark City. This film was Alex Proyas's second film. I want to say it was the one after The Crow. It's probably his best film. He's the guy has made a string of shit since. It starred Rufus Sewell, Kiefer Sutherland, Jennifer Connelly, and William Hurt, among a couple others. It is about this guy who wakes up. He doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know where he is. He's trying to figure out who he is. And he starts going on this journey that and unravels one giant mindfuck of a mystery now this thing is available to rent i don't know but if you're able to get your hands on the director's cut apparently that's the better version to watch because the studio got a little nervous i believe there's new line cinema got a little bit nervous and they forced the inclusion of a voiceover at the front of the film that explains everything But my son agreed not having that would make a lot more sense and kind of just go in with the flow of the film and and just figuring it all out makes a lot more sense and works better. So check that out if you can, the director's cut of Dark City. Otherwise, at least see the theatrical cut. This movie is a forgotten, great, brilliant film. Roger Ebert championed it also. My number four is Heart and Souls from 1993. An unhappy businessman finds a new sense of purpose after he's tasked with helping a quartet of ghosts fulfill their last wishes before moving on to the afterlife. The ghosts, not the businessman. The businessman is played by Robert Downey Jr. It's a great prequel to Iron Man. (laughs) It's kind of fun. Charles Grodin, Alfred Woodward, Kira Sedgwick. yeah. And Kira Sedgwick, my favorite. Uh, and then you've got, you know, a fun little appearance by David Paymer. Tom Sizemore. Yeah. Elizabeth Shue. So, yeah, Elizabeth Shue is the love interest. Oh, she's the babysitter? Yeah. In Adventures of Babysitting. That's fun. Every time this film becomes available to stream, I watch it. The first time I watched it, I thought, wow, this movie is so cute and sweet. And uh, it's of a very particular time. It's that 90s kind of sweetness. Mm. So... I enjoy that one, Heart and Souls. You love that more than Harry and the Hendersons? I don't know. Maybe Harry and the Hendersons should have been higher. So there we go. <laughs> All right. My fourth favorite is a forgotten Disney movie. We were talking about this, and there is obviously a lot of forgotten Disney movies that could be talked about, live action films in particular. But do I love most of them? No. I do love this one. I grew up with this one, and I have discovered as I hit my late 30s that no one really remembers this movie or talks about it or knows it. It's The Flight of the Navigator from 1986. Just a a slight little sci-fi adventure available on Disney+. Plus. You can check this thing out. Joey Kramer plays a kid who gets lost in the woods, and next thing he knows, he goes home. And no one he knows is there. And no one knows who he is. And he may have a connection to 
a spaceship. So I definitely recommend checking it out. It is one of the more creative and interesting of Disney films. It's a little bit of a slight little journey. It does not take a, a whole lot of your time for sure, but it is very cool. Some great puppetry and Pee Wee Herman has a voice cast uh, in it. So that is Flight of the Navigator on Disney Plus from 1986, my fourth favorite forgotten film. My number three is from 1950, and yay, it's a Spencer Tracy film, Father of the Bride. The father of a young woman deals with the emotional pain of her getting married, along with the financial and organizational trouble of arranging a wedding. I think times have probably changed now, so you know, I think it's different. It's of its time. And it also, the daughter is uh, Elizabeth Taylor. So that's pretty fun and interesting. And Joan Burnett is the wife. And Jeff, you brought this to my attention because you mentioned the remake and then you mentioned the original. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of funny how there's there's, uh, Rat Race, which is a sort of remake of Mad Mad World. And then I've got the original Father of the Bride. So... Yeah. I think we're balancing out the scales here. <laughs> I think more people know about the Martin, or the Steve Martin remake than they know of this original. So that's an excellent pick because I don't know anybody. If you mention Father of the Bride, they're going to think the Steve Martin remake. Yeah, and then it looks like they're trying to make another another one uh, uh, in 2022 it's a father coming to grip same sort of thing uh, prism of multiple relationships with a big sprawling cuban american clan so that'll be fun it feels a little bit closer to my big frat greek wedding in flavor than the original father brand i think you're right and i wonder if even the remake from the early 90s holds up too in terms of that same concept that would be a fun double feature and also would be a fun list original versus remake well that's definitely an interesting discussion you have to say which one yeah that's an interesting conversation we could have all right so that is your third favorite yep forgotten film my third favorite forgotten film is a film that i champion on this podcast all the time or as often as i can because, well, you know, no one talks about it. And even when people do think of this filmmaker's work, this film does not come up. It is Bride and Prejudice from 2004 by Grinichada. If people talk about Grinichada's work at all, they typically talk about Bend It Like Beckham. I'm really mad that I didn't come up with this pick. Yeah, yeah, you should be. (laughs) Maybe they'll talk about Blinded by the Light, a more recent effort of hers. But this is a musical that takes the Pride and Prejudice concept and gives it kind of a a British Indian spin with a little Bollywood flavor in it. And I love it. And Asharaya Rai, the stunning, radiant Asharaya Rai. Oh, no. Stars as the lead, and I, I just I just love this movie. I'll, I'll I'll check it out if you haven't already. Bride and Prejudice, two thousand four, my third favorite forgotten film. And the songs are highly addictive. Absolutely. 
All right. My number two is Anastasia from 1997, the animated film by Don Bluth. The last surviving child of the Russian royal family joins two con men to reunite with her grandmother in Paris, the Dowager Empress, while the undead Rasputin seeks her death. So a little crazy. Uh, not very realistic. <laughs> this was about the age where I was like, oh, I should do some research. And I was inspired to do research because the internet was a thing. And then find out that this this is so not how the world works. So it's a lot of fun. Uh, I love the music. It's got voice talents of Meg Ryan, John Cusack, Christopher Lloyd, is Rasputin, Kelsey Grammer. And uh, we've got Hank Azair as Bartok, the side creature uh kristen dunst is the young uh anastasia and angela lansbury is the dowager empress and bernadette peters yeah overlooking bernadette Bernadette peters Peters as sophie oh she's such a lovely character anyway this has now become a musical a broadway musical which one day i will see hopefully is it based on this movie i'm pretty sure because it's very musical it's almost like a disney film but it isn't a disney film but it is available to stream on disney yeah, that's because I think they, they got the Fox library, if mm. I recall. Mm-hmm. And Fox got Don Bluth's library, uh, even though some were made by Universal. Yeah, it's weird. And I think that was his most successful movie and one of his last movies he made because he was almost bankrupt. Um, Gettysburg, my second favorite forgotten film. When people speak of war films... Is it forgotten? When people Maybe. speak about war films... They do not speak much of Civil War films. When people talk about Civil War films, they mention Glory. They do not Mm. mention Gettysburg. I see. And Gettysburg is an extraordinary war epic that I am a huge fan of, and I'm happy to take half a day watching, (laughs) as it is like four hours long. Uh, but it, it, it does detail the battles that led to the Battle of Gettysburg. It has an extraordinary cast, as many of these movies do. Martin Sheen, Jeff Daniels, one of his best performances, C. Thomas Howell, Richard Jordan, and a slew of others appear in this movie. It is... One of my favorite war films by far, and nobody really talks about or is aware of this film. Gettysburg from 1993 is my second favorite forgotten film. Shanna, what is, if there is a forgotten film that you recommend most to people that people should see, what is it? Oh, it's gonna be Fern Gully. Now we 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 had it. We were like, oh, is it forgotten? Is it? I don't know. We we came to different um ends of the spectrum of how much the, of a forgotten film this I is. I remember growing up and kids around me, and then being a teenager, teenagers around me, not knowing what the hell I was singing when I was singing the bat, you know, Robin Williams's uh, baddie song. And it's it's definitely something that some people will know about. And, you know, as soon as you mention it, the floodgates of passion open. But there are a lot of people that don't know about this film. And I, I think that I run into that the most when I'm looking after any nanny kids that I've looked after in the past 10 years, which there are multiple. And the parents don't even know what this film is. Oh, see, that's the bigger indicator. Very good. Uh, the 
the magical inhabitants of a rainforest fight to save their home, which is threatened by logging and polluting force of destruction called Hexus. So they kind of have this other entity that's representing humanity's stupid decisions and lack of conservation and awareness of the environment. So I... I thoroughly enjoy this film. There's a there's a song or four, and I just think it's this fun way to look at the environment. I, you know, became aware of environmental issues as soon as I watched this film. So that's Fern Gully, The Last Rainforest from 1992. All right, excellent, excellent points made. Also, for that as a forgotten film, mine is so forgotten. As a Disney movie, it is such a forgotten Disney film that it's not even on Disney Plus. <laughs> this is how for- they forgot it. The studio that made it forgot it. <laughs> it is from 1983. It is a little Carol Ballard film who made a handful of films with nature and humans called Never Cry Wolf. I love this film that pretty much only stars Charles Martin Smith. It is based on the autobiography by Farley Mowat, which took place in the 50s, I believe, about this uh, expedition he was sent on to basically prove that the wolf population is killing the caribou population and what he discovers and what his relationships to the wolves are. It is a beautiful film. It is a film that is at times heartbreaking, but Mm -hmm. also a film that is so wonderfully crafted. There's a lot of silence in the film, a lot of narration. Sometimes that silence is only broken by narration as this guy is largely solitude solitary until he comes across mm, a couple people, and that's about it. Uh, I love this film, Never Cry Wolf. Nobody I know, for the most part, talks about this movie, seen this movie. Maybe they have vague memories of this movie because they're in their 40s or something, (laughs) you know. But this is not a movie that's talked about. Culture has forgotten this film, and it is the one I recommend most, and I love the most, of... So many movies I do love. Uh, Never Cry Wolf, 1983. So what are some movies that you think, based on our discussion here, also kind of fits and is a forgotten film that, that you recommend? What of, what of ours have you seen that you also love? Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That's going to do it, finally, for this episode of The Movie Lovers. Before we talk about the next episode, Shanna, share with us where we can find you online. You can find me on Instagram at Shanna Paxton Photography with underscores between those words. And you can find me on Flickchart at Spellbinding A. Very cool. So go to also Flickchart, the Gibson 99. You can find me there. However, primarily go to the GibsonReview.com to uh, find all past reviews and episodes and all that sort of stuff. Uh, The Disney through the years, please feel free to give that some attention. That was a year of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't mind if you took a gander at that. 
Um, go connect on social media, facebook.com slash the Gibson review, go to Instagram, the Gibson 99. I do bracket polls there. We did a couple recently. I believe the most recent ones that haven't been announced on here are, we did your favorite love stories for Valentine's day and your favorite there ended up being Scott Pilgrim versus the world as your favorite love story. We are in the middle of doing at the time of recording. It's probably going to end by the time you hear this favorite Disney animated movies in honor of the previous episode. You can find out what the results are of that. If you did not participate in that and uh, look ahead and participate in future polls there in the next episode of the movie lovers, I think we are actually going to do a movie review from this year. And that will be Matt Reeves' The Batman. That's coming out already. And with that, we will do favorite directorial debuts. Will Matt Reeves' directorial debut, Cloverfield, end up being on our list? I don't know. Who knows? But I think that will be a very interesting list to explore because there's a lot of directors we love, but do we love their first film? Whose first films do we love? Look for that episode on Tuesday, March 15th. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shanna saying... Bye-bye. But it basically is, is this guy talking about his experiences trying to flee Saudi Arabia and his family trying to flee Saudi Arabia. Am I right, Saudi Arabia? I don't think you have it right. I think it's Afghanistan, but let me look. Afghanistan. Yeah, from Afghanistan. I was correct. Honey, you said Saudi Arabia. Oh, son of a bitch. I was wrong. I was wrong. Yeah, I was wrong. Sorry. I was right. Shanna was right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Shanna right. Jeff uh, wrong. All right. You know, it's about this guy trying to flee. Were you recording all of that? Yes. Oh, please put it in at the end. (laughs) Oh, please. Just let me continue. (laughs) We're running long. It's about this guy trying to flee uh, Afghanistan and his family trying to flee Afghanistan. And it stops. You shouldn't be smiling. When you're talking about fleeing Afghanistan. It's just every time you say it, all I can hear in my head is Chris Rock saying, Afghanistan! I don't uh, want to call my mama in Afghanistan! Jesus Christ. <laughs>